Welcome to Legendary Talks, a My Spring Harvest podcast bringing you the best sermons, Bible studies and seminars from over the decades. Today, we're joined by Des Brown, who will be sharing his incredible story all about transformation through God's amazing grace, recorded at Spring Harvest 2023. My past, which it gets a little bit dark, not too dark, but we uh, land on God's amazing grace and that's why we're here. Say to the person next to you, God's amazing grace. That's really important because you see, we are only here because of God's grace, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And that's really important for us to know. Well, as been introduced, um, I'm actually a transformed offender. And I use the word transformed is in my teenage years, I went through the criminal justice system. And, uh, you know, I no longer have a mindset that is anti-system or anti-establishment is very much transformed by the grace of God um, so that when I look at people, when I look at the world, it's no longer formed in a way that was very negative. And you'll hear a little bit about that when I share my story, how that was formed negatively. I'm also uh, a therapist, person-centered therapist. And uh, hey, I like that. Thank you very much. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else? Um, I teach on being trauma-informed and trauma-aware, um, and also done my placement as a therapist in Pentonville Prison, um, as well as working with CGL, which is around those that suffer with substance misuse. As has been mentioned, I um, have a book. I'm telling you all the good things now, you see. I need to get that out of the way. So you think, I like this guy. He's all right. He's a nice guy. Because when it gets a little bit dark, some of you may be thinking, who has let him in? So, uh, yeah, we just need to make sure you hear the good stuff. I was actually ordained as a minister. Hey, this is it. This is more like Butlins. Um, ordained, <laughs> ordained as a minister under Assemblies of God. And I worked um, in a church in East London as a senior leadership team and also as a chaplain in a, a prison in, in ISIS. There's a prison called ISIS, H&P ISIS. Um, and I'd done that as a sessional worker for a year. And last but not least, I sit on various different advisory boards, whether it be local authority, central government, voluntary sector, looking around issues to do with institutional racism, and also sit on the Archbishop of Canterbury's Commission for Families and Households um, for England. That's going to be coming out later on this month. Now, I say all of that, really, not because... It's, of, it's, it's about who I am. It's, it's because you're going to hear of God's amazing grace. We're talking about a kingdom that has been flipped. And often when we talk about church, and for many of us when we go to church, we'll see and connect with people that are very much like us, maybe believe what we believe, interact in the way that we interact. But one thing I've come to love and come to know about Jesus is that he's always doing things outside the box. He's always moving in areas that many of us may not feel comfortable with, but if we're challenged by the grace of God, hopefully some of what you're going to hear today is a heart of an evangelist that's really going to challenge some of us to say, okay, what would the kingdom look like when we step out with a mindset and with an attitude to say, look, maybe we need to be looking where Jesus is looking. Because you know what? Church is great on a Sunday, but it prepares us for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my story, my upbringing, etc. And I share none of this to glorify or sensationalize in any way my experience or my upbringing, but really to share about the grace of God. What you're going to hear is God's story. 
God's story of amazing grace. So in my upbringing, I was brought up in an area called Barking and Dagnum. And it was in the 70s. Well, there's another one, Barking and Dagnum, yeah. It was in the 70s. And um, in the 70s, it was quite unique. My mum was white, my dad's black. So it's quite unique to have a a, a couple, um, one white, one black, being married in that area in the 70s. And anyone knows much about Barking and Dagnum? It's quite a racist area in those times. And so I was brought up quite aware from my mum specifically, that I have to look after myself and have to make sure that I don't get bullied. And in that, you know, as you can imagine, um, you find yourself in situations where there can be a few conflicts. So I learned quite quickly to stand up for myself. And in some ways that can be seen as good, but you know what it's like. Um, If there's not one confrontation, there'll be another. And before you know it, I found myself getting into fights. And sadly, at the age of 11, um, standing up for my friend, I got into a fight and I was uh, stabbed at the age of 11. And all of these things that I'm going to be talking about can shape our world. There's a concept in psychology called phenomenology. And phenomenology is based on our experiences that shape our consciousness. So all of us have had different experiences. And our experiences shape our consciousness and it brings a sense of awareness. And that could be good, bad, or indifferent because the world isn't the way it is, it's the way we see it. The world isn't the way it is, it's the way we see it. And all of us will see the world in different ways based on our experiences will be a reflection of our, what they would call phenomenology. And so there I had that incident and as I was... uh, growing, I found myself getting involved, not because my parents in any way were uh, dysfunctional or, or for want of a better term, using loosely bad parents. They're very loving, very supportive, and you'll hear that through my story, but I made choices. And we all have, and we all find ourselves in situations in life, whether we look back to our past or we think about our present, that we make choices. Some are good, some are bad, but ultimately they can impact and affect not only our world, but those that are around us. By the age of 15, 16, I was involved in uh, robberies, burglaries, taking drugs, and in the end, selling drugs. And it was during this time that my older brother got involved in an incident and his face had got cut and he had 29 stitches and he nearly lost his eye. And again, coming back to that concept of experience and consciousness, it shapes our worldview. And uh, at that point, I remember carrying a knife And in many ways, living in a current context of today where we know that knife crime can be quite prevalent in certain communities, and we know that youth violence or violence that are affecting young people is often in our news, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what are we as a church doing? Because you know the church has a voice, a prophetic voice into society and into community to shape the way that Maybe policies are made and decisions are made, etc. So I was one of those individuals in my teenage years who got, got involved in, in youth violence. And sadly, at the age of 17, I remember my friend saying to me he wanted to go to this, this rave. Or for those that may not know what a rave is, I'm sure many of you do, it's a party. To go to this party. And um, I remember at first saying, no, I'm not interested. And in the end, they said, look, we'll buy the ticket. We left my house. We went to his house to get the money. And as we're going through, there was a conflict between a stranger and my friend. And this guy basically battered my friend, uh, beat him up, turned to me. He said, Andrew, and he began to swear at me. Now, because of pride and because of what recently happened, instead of me just turning around and walking off, 
Um, he swung for me, I pulled out my knife and I stabbed him. And I remember turning around, then walking off and some people shouting, saying, um, who was it me, was it me? And they came, they tried to get me, I ran home. Mum's in the kitchen preparing that evening meal. Um, she said, oh, you're back early, darling. I said, yeah, I'm not going out now. Went upstairs, washed off the knife, sat in my bedroom. Adrenaline's pumping. A little while after, a helicopter comes over and an ambulance comes down the street. At that point, I'd like to say I was in a level of remorse or thinking, what did I do? But to be fair, there's often a world that some people that get involved in heavy levels of criminal activity, um, they live under a code of honour, not necessarily a code of law. And I was very much wrapped up in that. And a code of honour, not a code of law, basically means your currency, your credibility is based on your identity, as warped as it may seem. Um, but that's very much where it's based. And, you know, just kind of making a, a footnote just at this point and acknowledging those and really celebrating what Spring Harvest have done as streaming this message into prisons. And there'll be probably a number of prisoners listening to this message um, this evening. And I've had the privilege of speaking in many prisons for over the last 20 years in different contexts. So I really want to thank God that if you are listening, um, that there is a message definitely in here for you of his amazing grace. But the truth is we've all got experiences that we've gone through and we all need that amazing grace. And I remember it was a little while after the following day, somebody came to the door, knocked on the door. My brother answered and they said, is your younger brother there being me? And they said, he's killed him, he's killed him. They began to swear and about 20 people came in, grabbed me, ran up the stairs, threw me down the stairs and started to lay into me. And my brother at that point was in denial. An hour later, the police came. Um, my parents had come home. We had called them from work. They'd come home and uh, the police said, we are arresting him for murder. And they took me away to the police station. Now, like a stone, when you throw it in a, a pond, you see the ripple effect, the impact that it has of a decision that I made that day to carry a knife. And you go through this process. I was in the police cell for a number of days that to take me to the hospital first because of the injuries and not really accepting or understanding what had happened um, but knowing that from this day on my life probably would never be the same and I'd spend many many a year in prison now I wasn't brought up in a Christian home my mum was an atheist my dad was a Christian when he was in Jamaica came to this country um, fell away from his faith in many ways. The only thing I always remember is that Easter and Christmas, he'd go to church. But apart from that, I never heard the gospel message, never heard anything about Jesus. And I find myself going from the police station into Brixton prison, then from Brixton into Feltham. And this is when they had slop out. There was no toilets, there was no TVs, there was no PlayStations, there was no fridges. There was nothing in your cell apart from two buckets, one to go to toilet in and one to wash in. And I remember they put me on this uh, wing in, in Brixton, which was uh, uh, people that were on there had obviously done serious offences and would been in there for a long time. And I remember, it's funny, because when you're in there, you're processing how long I had to see a psychiatrist, and they're questioning, is there anything um, that is untoward with Des's mental well-being, his emotional well-being? What is it that caused him to do this? And with any serious offence, there's always those questions. And at the end of me speaking to a psychiatrist, they said, is there anything we can do for you? And I said, yeah, can you get me out of here? 
So I, was, I think the youngest person, I mean, you want to get out of it full stop, but just move me from Brixton. So they moved me to Feltham, and because of the character that I was, the mouth that I had, uh, before, you know, I made enemies, I got into fights, there was conflicts. And then my girlfriend came to visit me, who is now my wife, and she said to me, oh, that's good, yeah. <laughs> See, I should have shared that story, really, shouldn't I? I should have just stayed with that one. I'd have got more sympathy. <laughs> And uh, I remember she came to me in Feltham, and I'm thinking, right, you know, have you brought some drugs? You know, what can we pass, etc. And she said, she's been saved. And I said, saved from what? <laughs> she said, she's become a Christian. I said, mm, I'm not really interested, because see, in my eyes, I was my own God. I decided what was right and wrong, where I'd go, what I'd do. And so, you know, the, 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 the kind of, the visit finished. And then I had to go for bail, for um to see if they would let me out before it goes to main court now you think for that kind of offense bearing in mind it's a lot more high profile now for violent offenses as it was say then they gave me bail for twenty-five thousand pounds at a magistrate's court and anyone that understands the criminal justice system then you'd get two t attempts at magistrates and one at crown court they gave me bail at magistrate's court for twenty-five thousand pounds which is probably equivalent to about one hundred eighty thousand pounds now so my parents had to sign over the house that to move away from the area, anyone that was connected with me would get death threats or would get beaten up. My brothers would get, sh they got shipped off to various different members in the family and I had to go and live with my aunts and sign on at a police station twice a day. You'd think through all of that, maybe this young person would listen. But you see, there was a hardness in my heart and sadly, I got in another altercation with somebody. This time I got stabbed twice. And because of that, I couldn't go to the police station. My life basically was out of control. I remember coming home um, from being in the hospital and then going to the police station. My mum's crying, my dad's crying, my brother's crying and saying, what are you doing to the family? You're destroying it. When you think about some of the things that have gone on in our world, in our lives, in our families, we need God at times to step in and to intervene. Because if we was really honest, whether it's our own upbringings, whether it's our own journeys, or whether it's things that some of us are living through right now, we need that divine intervention. And I remember my heart was hard and my girlfriend kept telling me, why don't I go to church? And I said, okay, I'll, we'll go church. But I'll choose the church we go to, like I knew anything about church. <laughs> she had a lot of pride. Hopefully, it'd be nice to say that. I've not got hardly any now. But at that point, I did. Some people are thinking, no, I think you've got quite a lot. No, I haven't. I've, I've dealt with some of that. <laughs> I remember getting this flyer. And uh, we went to this church. Never been in a church before. My hair was in twist when I had hair then, just in case people are thinking... Did you ever have hair? Um, my hair was in twist, my trousers rolled up, I had bandanas. I remember not really understanding the message, but all I heard was this, is, is that if you've done wrong in your life and you want God to forgive you, then come to the front. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I know I've done wrong. And my girlfriend's brother at that point had also radically come to a conversion through a life of dysfunctionality, drugs, and, and mental health. Or, and, and he had come through a point of really finding Christ in a radical way. And he'd tell me about Jesus, but I wouldn't really accept it. So I, I kind of knew a little bit. So I came to the front and I remember they, they said to me, do I want to accept Jesus in my life? And I said, well, well yeah. So I prayed this prayer. And, and, and after that, they said, do I want the Holy Spirit? Now, you're bearing in mind, I've never been in a church. And I thought, well, the Holy Spirit is God. It must be good. Okay. 
So they prayed for me and then I got filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time standing there in the church. And for whatever people's theology is, because we'll have different theologies. And at that point, what I'm going to tell you happened, I had no theology, but I got filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, as they call it, for about 10 seconds and realized, what is this? It's quite overwhelming. I stopped because you are in control. I then went and sat down and... I knew something had happened, but I didn't really understand what. I remember leaving the church, came back the following week, different preacher, I thought the church is boring, didn't go to church for a period of time. Then my girlfriend said, come to her church. In the end, I did. Can't remember the message. Well, I remember the message saying again, if you've done wrong in your life and you want God to forgive you, then come to the front. And I thought, well, that's me. So I get up again and I go to the front. How many people know people like that? Amen, amen, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't get enough of God's grace. And I remember, again, what was slightly different, they took me out into this room at the back because they said they wanted to take down some details to follow me up. And this is what began to shift in my world. There was this woman there crying, jumping up and down, saying, we've been praying for you, we've been praying for you. For the first time, I saw the love of God. I thought, this woman, she doesn't know me. She's crying for me. She knows what I've done. If this is a God that she is serving then I want to get to know him. And that started my journey of salvation in its fullness. It challenged my worldview. It challenged me taking drugs. It challenged the relationships, issues of revenge, unforgiveness. Um, It began to cause a sense of remorse, repentance, genuinely of what I'd done, not just saying sorry, but God. You know, the depravity of humanity hit me in its fullness over a period of months. And God broke into my world. And it was at this time that God spoke to me. Now, let me just put it in a context. Now, the curtain didn't move. Smoke didn't come through the room. And it wasn't like, there's. It wasn't something like that. Just to be clear. But what did happen, bearing in mind I didn't really know the Bible or the Scripture much, is this Scripture kept coming to me, Matthew 9, Matthew 9. Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 6, Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 6. So I, I, I quickly turned to my Bible, and I'm going to read the very scripture that God gave me, and I'm going to share a few points, and then by the grace of God, um, we're going to land this evening and give people an opportunity if they want that same amazing grace that I had received. We just want to take a quick break to talk to you about Spring Harvest. If you're enjoying this podcast, you should definitely join us at Minehead or Skegness this Easter. It's five days full of inspiring talks, heartfelt worship and family fun. On top of an amazing programme of sessions, it's hosted at Butlins, so you'll get access to the swimming pool, fun fair, play parks and so much more. It's great for all ages, a place where the whole church comes together at the pinnacle of the Christian calendar. So take time out, find space to hear from God and feel refreshed and equipped to live the life he's calling you to. Find out more, including dates and prices at springharvest.org. And there's this account in scripture with Jesus. and It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Now what's interesting, when you look at the text, the powerful thing about Jesus come to his own town, not many, many miracles happen when Jesus goes back to his own town because they see him as you're the carpenter, you're the son of Joseph, the son of Mary. And, but what's interesting, he goes back to his own town and some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, Now, what's interesting is that God can see our faith. It's interesting, isn't it? How we respond 
indicates are we faithful or faithless? And what's interesting, it was the faith of the friends that brought that person to Jesus. It was interesting in my story, it was my girlfriend that kept telling me about Jesus. Now there's some people here, you're here because you're part of a family or a friendship group and you've been brought here and you've maybe never made a response to Jesus. You've been around church but you've never really necessarily made a commitment. There's people maybe watching and listening, whether it be in the chalets or at home or you know in prisons then, and you've heard about Jesus but you've never made a response to Jesus before. Friends are praying for you. I know having worked in prison, been in prison, you know, people always saying we're praying for you. Even my sister at that point, who wasn't necessarily a believing Christian, said, make sure you read your Bible. And it's funny, I mean, I'm not going to go into my full story. You'd have to get the book. <laughs> yeah, it's clever. No, but, <laughs> but being honest, I remember before this salvation even happened, I had a routine in my cell. This is when the beds wasn't tied to the floor as they are now I used to use it as a weight do my bench press I'd smoke a cigarette and then I'd pray who I was praying to I don't know but what was genuine is that from truly from my heart I'd be praying to God and you know what there's maybe people that are listening or that are here and you're still kind of grappling with you know who is God and where is he where has he been But if you're sincere, let me tell you, God will make himself known to you in the truth of who he is like he did through his son, Jesus Christ. And so there I was reading this scripture and it goes on to say this. It says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, the fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say get up and walk. That's interesting that not only does God see our faith, God knows the thoughts of our hearts. There's nothing that's hidden from him. And here you have a situation where Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And in those times... Only God had the authority to forgive people of their sins. See, this isn't my story, it's his story. This isn't about my forgiveness, it's him forgiving me. And what we've got to understand, when we look at a a flipped kingdom, a kingdom that's different to maybe how we would see it, there's probably people that we would not forgive. There's probably individuals that we would say, that's not fair if they make it to heaven. You know, you just need to look at the, you know, Jesus and the thief on the cross. Just that in itself. You know, there's some of us that have served faithfully for years and years and years. And we get in by the skin of our teeth, but by the grace of God. Not because of our works, but because of his grace. And there's others, maybe at their final breath or their final year. And they cry out to Jesus and they get forgiven. Guess what? You're going to see them in heaven. Some of you, hopefully, by then, will transform, so we're all going to be happy. But if we went up there like we are now, some of us would be a bit annoyed. Let's be honest. Come on. Yeah, there'll be some people. How did you get here? Who let you in? (laughs) But that's the amazing grace. It's not for us to decide, but it's for him. And so not only did he say, I forgive you of your sins with the authority that he had, but he said, take up your mat and go home. And it was that word, go home, that God amplified and spoke into my world and he said, Des, you're not going to prison, you're going home. 
and I shared it with my mum, I shared it with my dad, I shared it with my solicitor. They thought I had religious mania. My friend said either there's a God or you're mad. I mean, it literally was, how can you say what you've just said with what you've just done, etc., etc., etc. And uh, what was interesting is the scripture comes to an end. It says in verse 5, but I would... But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. You see, when someone's life is radically changed, people see it and they're amazed. People will praise God when individuals that were living a life of crime dysfunctionality, come to Christ, the world changes so much, other people will say there must be a God. People will celebrate. And you think about people in your communities, in your towns, maybe family members. If some of them would get saved, you think of the testimony that would happen. Because people would say, what, they got saved? Them? But you see, this is amazing grace because God is able to do it. So what you have here is a a situation and a scenario where Jesus steps in and he begins to change someone's destiny. And what's powerful about that is not only did Jesus see their faith, not only did he forgive sins, but that person's position changed and they saw the world like they never saw the world before. Because no longer were they laying on their back, being carried by their friends. Because let me tell you something, it's tiring to carry people. And some of us that are here, you're carrying people and you're trying to help them. But the only place you can take them is to Jesus. Because it's only him that can heal. It's only him that can set free. And it's only him that can restore. Now keep carrying them by all means, but bring them to Jesus. So what you have here is that this person began to see the world like they'd never seen it before. They wasn't dependent on people anymore. But they was dependent on God. That is a story that people would celebrate and talk about. And we never hear anything else again about that person who was healed. We never heard whether they started a church, (laughs) a life group, a connect group, whether it was leading worship. We never know. But what we do know is that it was important enough to be recorded in Scripture to impact our world, to say only he has the power to forgive people of their sins and his name is Jesus Christ. And one thing that we have to, I think, process as we think about the kingdom that is flipped, that is changed, is what happens when we see life as God sees it. Because you see, the truth is, Jesus never came for the righteous, but he came to bring sinners to repentance. The powerful thing when I've gone into prisons that I love is is this. You know that everybody in there knows that they've done wrong. It's a great audience, great audience for preaching the gospel. And even those that are in there and said, well, I shouldn't be in here for this. And I've had many of those conversations. But I say, but how many things have you done wrong and you've not been caught for? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But you know what? So it is with us. Because in some ways, there's many things that we have done. You know, the Bible talks about that if we hate our brother, we're a murderer. And it was said of old, if you kill your brother, you're a murderer. But if you hate your brother in the New Testament, it's more about the heart than it is the action. 
And so when we look at sin and we look at original sin and we understand the theology of that, which I'm not going to go into, it's actually the intent and the desire for something, whether we carry it out or not. It shows the depravity of humanity and yet we have sin in us. Some of us may feel more controlled, more restrained than others. But then when we look at people's upbringings, people's experiences, look at things like adverse childhood experiences, things that people go through, what impacts their world, we'll never know why people sometimes do the things that they do. And yes, it's not right. Yes, it can't be condoned. Often I have many conversations with the powers that be concerning young people that choose to carry knives. And one thing I would say is that I don't agree with it. It's not right. But some people will leave their house with the understanding that today their life could be taken. And the understanding of that would be, if that's regularly and you fear for your life, it's called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And if you and I was to live under post-traumatic stress disorder, how would we respond under pressure and in context that actually is very traumatic? Not right, not condoned, but when you look at things like trauma awareness, the approach isn't, look what you've done, it's what's happened to you for you to do what you've done. It's what has happened. And the truth to us today as we are here is what has happened to us for us to live the lives that we live. What has happened to us to come to a point do we realise that actually we need that same grace of God's forgiveness in our lives to transform our world that we do not see the world the way that it, we've always seen it. But when Jesus comes and he changes the way we see it. So I'm going to give an opportunity this evening for people. There's probably about 2,000 people here. So I've been told. I've not counted. But maybe there's people here that have never really made a commitment to Jesus. And the way that I put it is like this. Now, I use this name because many people will know the name David Beckham. He's in my preach. I wonder if he hears it. It'd be good if he did. Now, I've read a lot about David Beckham as a footballer as a celebrity, he's in the news, etc., etc. But I can tell you this, if I was to say, hey, David, David Beckham, he turns around and he looks at me, he'll say, who are you? You don't know who I am. But I've read loads about him to the point that I know his family, children. I'm not obsessed by him, by the way. I'm just using it as an illustration, just to be clear. <laughs> Some people think, hmm, I was following that until you got to that point. That's like, eh. <laughs> but the point that I'm trying to make is sometimes it can be like that with us in church and God that we've heard a lot about it we've read a lot about it we've been told a lot about it but if we were to say hey Jesus God forbid he turns around and say who are you? there's no relationship there's no connection so I'm not talking about religion tonight I'm talking about relationship I'm talking about us surrendering our lives to Jesus and saying, God, I realize there is sin in my life and I need your forgiveness. And sometimes we've got to be courageous. One of the things I realize as I bring this to a close now is that those are in, in individuals, when you see the account in, in Luke and in Mark of that same text I read in Matthew 9, it says they got to the house and it was full. They could have turned around and walked and left, but they climbed up on the roof and they removed the tiles. Then they lowered this man in front of Jesus in a room of religious people and they disturbed the whole meeting. And this man that was lying there 
didn't have the control, but knew he wanted to be in front of Jesus. Now, if there's ever a time where people are watching and there's feeling a sense of embarrassment, it was then. I've never been ripped a roof open and lowered and everyone's watching. But you know what? That faith changed that whole person's trajectory in their life like never before. So for some of you this evening, for you to respond, it's going to take courage. It's that realization that actually this isn't about the people around me. It's about I need God's forgiveness. And for some of you that have brought individuals here, maybe the conversation you're having with them, with a level of order, do you want me to come with you? Maybe you're the friend this evening that brings that person to Jesus, that family member, that husband, that wife, that son, that daughter, that brother, that sister. I thank God for friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of Legendary Talks. If you enjoyed it, make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit springharvest.org to find out more. We'd love to see you at Spring Harvest 2024.